Hello and welcome to My Mind with Stefan Taylor. This week or today, whoops, we have some very interesting things to talk about. So let's just jump in and start talking about stuff. So what I want to talk about this week is I thought I would just share a story about some hospitality things that have happened. I recently started working with a, um, a friend of mine and we worked at another place together and now we're back reunited. So um, we're, we're just having like a big nostalgia thing, which is really nice. It's nice to talk about talk to someone about uh, other people that you know and have a laugh and remember the good times for better or worse. And um, it, it got me thinking about this one um, kitchen hand we had. Uh, not, not with this particular guy. This is um, years and years ago. But um, it, it made me think of a funny story where um, this, this guy... Um, he was from Mauritius, which is, I'm pretty sure, a little island of South um, South America or South Africa. Maybe it's, I think it's South Africa. It's like this little island called Mauritius where people are from and he, this is where he was from. And he had like eight kids, a wife. I'm pretty sure he told me at one point he was like a electrical engineer <laughs> or something in, uh, in Mauritius. But uh, anyway, for one reason or the other, he started working at um, the place where we worked. And there was a little bit of a language barrier. Like his English was, his English was, was good, but uh, there were some things that kind of got lost. And that, that kind of says a lot about like a lot of hospitality and service industry in Australia is that uh, a lot of things get lost in the language barrier. And it's hard, it's hard to kind of, uh, you know, get cranky at some people because, you know, regrettably English isn't their first language and you can't blame them for that. You know, like you can't help where people are born and where they end up and um, you can only control so much of how much you hire, uh, whether it be, you know, your, your boss has hired them or someone else has hired them or whatever. But anyway, so we're in... Uh, at the place I worked at, there was two kitchens. There was like a service kitchen, uh, which was like a small prep kitchen. And then there was a bigger kitchen where we held most of the stock and did most of the prep out of. And one lunch, uh, uh, my head chef and I were in the kitchen. I think there was maybe uh, another person there. Maybe I can't remember. Anyway, we're there. We're getting railed and my head chef goes, Oh, I won't say his name, but he was like, oh, mate, can you go over to the big kitchen and bring us back a box of chips? And he's like, okay, nods. Yeah, okay. No worries, chef. Yes, boss. And then he goes and he comes back with this massive pot of water. And he's like, pasta to boil. (laughs) And my, oh man, my chef gave him this look that was just like, uh, it was like when a dog brings you back, not the ball that you throw, you know, it was, uh, it was so funny. It just, it was the look of dumbfounded and like the look of, um, you know, the, the look that this guy had that was like, did I do the right thing? Is that, is that right? Is it, is this what you wanted? You wanted this pot of water when it was clear that, you know, you wanted a box of chips. Anyway, I think I went over and got it, but he used to, um, he used to sing this song and he used to go, um, you know, you'd be busy in service and he'd be like, Oh mate, can you like uh, get us a couple dishes and you know, this, that, and that. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll finish the cleanup quickly so we can get it all out and get it all done. And he was like, okay, so Steph, we're gonna, here's a wrap that I made for you, you and you and your friend. 
I won't say his name either, but he was like, he always used to go, you and me, we go to the sea. Then we, then we go, no, you and me, we go to the sea and we catch the fish. Then we, then we eat the fish. Then we drink the beer. Then we drink some, then we get some more fish. Then we go to the sea. And it was like, oh mate, this is the cringiest rap I've ever heard. The strangest rap I've ever heard. And there's, um, there's a lot of strange things that people do in hospitality that, um, well, you kind of need to experience, you know, it's a different world, the hospitality world, but I just thought I'd share that story of, um, how that little guy, he had good work ethic. He was, he was a funny dude, but anytime he would like do that rap, I would cringe, but I would also be happy, you know, cause you know, this is a guy from, this tiny island <laughs> and who knows if they have like Wi-Fi or music, you know, he could have been like a world renowned rapper in Mauritius. Like, I don't know. That could be just how you rap in, in, um, South Africa. Well, you know, what do I know? I come from a, a smallish country town, you know, you don't know. Anyway, I thought I'd share that story before we get into some, juicy topics and talk about how we feel and where we're at with our lives. I'm feeling pretty good. Um, uh, going back to uh, what I was saying, uh, working with this guy, um, it's, it's nice because uh, he used to work in um, uh, across England and um, uh, parts of Europe and stuff. And <laughs> it always gets brought up. <laughs> like people from Birmingham and we like go back and forth talking about, you know, like the, the Peaky Blinders, like guys, it's you and me guys. Cause we're from Birmingham. We're from Birmingham in the North of England. And that's how we talk. We talk about the water and we talk about guys, guys, Shelby. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah, Cause you talk, you talk about that. Where are the pies? Where are the pies under Andy? Where are me pies? I don't know where my pies are. Yeah, pretty funny. Um, that's probably the most, that's probably the best thing about um, hospitality as well, is that it's such a small community that you do end up working with the same people, which is nice, you know, for the most part. Some people you don't want to work with again, but, you know, others it's really nice as well um, because you feed off each other, you know. We, um, we're like sharks, sharks or wolves, you know, when you're in like the pack and the herd, there's the alpha, which is like the head chef, you know, you can't have too many alphas in the kitchen. Always it's not productive. You know, we're all fighting for dominance, right? And as soon as we see blood, then we just jump on it. We jump on the weakest thing and then we hook into it and, you know, grab on it. That's why, you know, a lot of apprentices get um get picked on then you know look i've been on both sides i've picked on apprentices and i've i've never picked on a, on an apprentice because of their personality though that they're, they're they're my rules you know you always pick on you can only pick on work ethic you can't pick on their personal situation you can't get too personal you know because then it's you start to be a bully that's when it starts to, you, you cross the line. That's the line in the sand for me. A lot of people can't see it, but the line in the sand for me is that you can't, you can't cross, um, you can't start talking trash about people's families, people, people's upbringings and stuff like that. You know, like that's where I draw the line. You know, you're, I only pick on someone's work ethic, you know, cause your work ethic is rubbish. Then you're giving me ammunition to do it, you know? So, um, but you know, I've seen it a thousand times where people just cross the line and cross the line and yeah, it's not nice. It's not good. You don't want to be, you don't want to have to come to work and hate your job because someone's being mean to you and picking on your family and that like, fair enough. Like I said, they're picking on your work ethic cause that's you, that you can change, but you can't change your upbringing, unfortunately. So for all you chefs out there. You know, keep it on the left side of the right or the right side, whichever you see the line. Just don't pick on someone's upbringing. You know, it's not fair game. 
they, they can't change that, you know, so or do it. I don't, I don't really mind. It's uh, it's up to you guys, really. Excuse me. Just drinking, um, drinking some water. It's a hot day where I am. It's a really hot day. So anyway, um, so I'm good. I've had a very busy last couple of weeks. Um, just been trying to finish a lot of games. Got a lot of half finished games, which I'm not actually happy with. I like to, um, play one game, finish it and then move on. But for some reason I keep getting halfway through a game and then playing another game. And it's not like I'm playing a brand new game. I'm playing a game that, you know, I've either finished before or it came out five years ago and just never played it. So I really need to start crossing them off my list, you know, because we got get excited. We've got next gen coming out. We've got the next the next Xbox, Xbox X, which is um starting to get its own. It's starting to be a problem before it's even come out now with this whole um pre-ordering debacle in Australia. For those of you internationals listening um in australia i think for the first xbox one um you just ordered it and you pre-ordered it and then by the end of like maybe a month or whatever they would send it to microsoft and then you know that's how they would get their numbers but microsoft now i think have only made a certain amount so let's say they've made a thousand and then a thousand people have pre-ordered it, got in first, foot in the door, then that's it. And now people are trying to sell their prepaid tickets, their pre-order tickets online for like three or four times the asking price, which is a joke. That sucks. There should be like a law, or maybe there is, but it should be um it should be a law where if you prepay or pre-order you have to like show identification you know or something like that to like stop this debacle because i guarantee there is someone who has bought like six or pre-ordered at least six or seven xboxes and then sold them to different people for sure i mean why wouldn't you you know unfortunately i come from a place where as much as it sucks, I can't knock anyone's hustle. I can't knock, I can't, I respect it. I respect it. You know, anybody that wants to make money in this world, like more power to them, mate, you know, like, yeah. Uh, I don't support ill-gotten gains, but yeah, it's hard to not look past there. You're doing, you don't know their personal circumstance. They could be not living at home, you know, so you can't, you can't not respect the hustle. That's, that's, um, that's what I kind of trying to come to terms with really, because, you know, you want people to, oh, look, perfect world. Everybody just works for their money and they all get paid, you know, perfect world scenario and situation, but no, no, doesn't happen that way. People take advantage, but that's all right because Crash Bandicoot 4 came out. Who was looking forward to it? That's right. Not many, I don't think. Who bought it? This guy. <laughs> Why did I buy it? I don't know. I talked about, I banged a lot about like leave nostalgia alone. And then I got thrown back into nostalgia with all these like games that have been coming out. Mafia 1, etc. Um, and now I've been thrown into buying, and mind you, I didn't buy the disc. I bought it online. Cause there's something in my head that thinks I'm going to play it all the time now. And I think digital's the way to go. I mean, why not just buy a game, have a game? I mean, yeah, I guess you're putting someone out of work, but you're not walking in there and then returning a game, but you know, I'm also saving fuel. I'm saving time. Um, I'm essentially, I, I'm, I'm limiting my interaction. Like I don't have to go to another person and say, right. I don't have to say to anybody that, 
I was not happy with this game, except the people um, tuning in weekly to to this. That you you guys or you guy can just listen to me um, complain about it. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's look number three, number one, two, and three were good games, and they were definitely really good games for the consoles they came out on, right? But here's the problem with Crash Bandicoot is that if you want a game that you want to throw controls at (laughs) or smash controls on the ground or get really, really cranky and have outbursts of rage and then your hands get really sweaty and all muggy on the controls. So there's weird bits of brown sweat on your uh, control. Then every Crash Bandicoot game is for you. I personally don't like that anymore. (laughs) I don't like raging while I'm gaming. Um, I'm okay with getting a bit cranky and a bit frustrated. Like, Uh, As I said uh, last episode, I think I talked about the race on Mafia 1, which was really, 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 really frustrating. Um, Yeah, I don't mind that, but it really annoys me when I can't jump on 10 boxes in a row. (laughs) And it annoys me more. Because now they've got like a modern way to play. So it's not live. So you don't earn, well, you can, you can play the old way. You can earn lives and whatever, but now they've got it. So you can, um, you can play a modern way. So it's from the checkpoints and they tally your deaths. And I swear one level I tallied close to 60 deaths because <laughs> I've got this stupid obsession Crash Bandicoot games where I have to get every box I can. It's not healthy. It's not healthy at all. It sucks because something in my head says you have to go and look at the boxes. It's like when I play, no, you have to go and crush the boxes. Every box you have to hit, you have to jump on every box. You have to spin every box. You have to get all the TNT and all the Nitro, whatever. Even in like adventure games, RPG games, I have to look in every box. I think that was the, the the most amount of time I ever spent on Oblivion, like the Elder Scrolls, Oblivion, Morrowind, and Skyrim. And um, even like, like Fallout, every Fallout, um, The Witcher, Every Witcher, well, one and uh, two and three. I didn't play one. Um, two and three, right? Right. I spent most of the most of all the gameplay sorting out loot, rifting, sifting, and rifting and r- ravaging through every ingredient and apples. Like I used to pick up gourds in Skyrim. Why? So I can make a gourd soup or a gourd pie? Who knows? Why? It's a game. You don't even really need food. But I pick it up. I pick up all the cheese for, I don't know, I want to. (laughs) Who knows why? Yeah, I pick up ladles. I pick up wooden ladles too. Silver ladles. They're worth one crown. I pick them up. Yeah. Oh yeah, I love picking stuff up. I don't like dropping things. Do you know what's worse is when you pick up all these all these things and then you're over encrumbed or you know you're full and you can't fast travel and you can't walk. Is that you? You end up dropping like the weapons first or like armor stuff that's like of value instead of like standing there sifting through all the ladles and gourds that you picked up. Like, you don't need gourds. You don't. I'm telling you. You don't need gourds. In Skyrim, you don't need gourds. In Oblivion, you don't need gourds. Right? In Morrowind, 
you don't need gourds. Witcher, no gourds. You don't need them. But I do like the the thing in Witcher, actually. I, I'm not sure if it um, is the same in the Elder Scrolls, but um, all your magical ingredients and um, uh, like crafting stuff, like they, they don't weigh anything. I think that's an awesome thing. That's the best thing because, you know, I don't really want to drop, you know, my 100 pieces of bone meal, whatever I use bone meal for. I'm pretty sure I use it for something, but, you know, I guess I just, I, go, I, I want to keep the bone meal, but I don't want the gourds. Throw out the gourds. You don't need gourds. Yeah. Oh, my gourds. See, it's funny. Gourds. Uh, I don't know why I'm picking on gourds. I haven't personally um, had a gourd. I had a grammar, which looks like a gourd. It looks like the video game gourd. But it tastes um, pretty... It doesn't taste very nice. Yeah. I was not excited to eat it. Mm. It was okay. Yeah, I've definitely had worse things. I've eaten worse things for sure. Um, yeah, but it wasn't very nice. It's a gourd. Like, where are gourds from? I'll find out. I'll find out and I'll get back to you if you're wondering what a gourd is. It looks like a pumpkin or like a squash, like a really elongated butternut pumpkin. But the color of like a, a Japai or a Kent pumpkin. Mm. Bloody gourds. Not happy with that. Not happy with gourds. This is what happens. Like I said a couple of episodes ago, if you're tuning in, right, I get this like unhealthy obsession where I need to like rant about the one thing that's annoying me a lot. And I, I feel bad for some of the people I work with that they just have to stand there and listen to me for eight hours ranting and raving about how someone wronged me or how someone, um, you know, upset me, right? So at one place I worked at, I had um, a pair of tongs that my my first chef gave to me, my first head chef gave to me. And um, he gave me these tongs and obviously honored to have them. Uh, it was even like a throwback gift. It wasn't like he had the tongs for 20 years or whatever. It was just like I needed tongs and he had tongs to give away. So he gave me the pair of tongs. I still have the pair of tongs. And um, if I never had tongs at a workplace, I would use said tongs. I didn't like to because, you know, I'd had them for so long, but I used them. And one day... It was a busy service and the one time I didn't put the tongs, like I didn't carry the tongs with me. I just left on my chopping board. Someone took them and they put them on their apron and they were only coming in the kitchen to like walk around and help for like a minute. And they took off my, they took off of my tongs, right? And I was irate. I was so cranky. I ranted and raved. I was like, my head chef gave me those tongs eight years ago. They mean so much to me. I love those tongs. It's so unhealthy. But this is how you get all your rage out, I guess. This is how I get mine out. This, oh, I can't believe that guy just came along and took my tongs. He's only here for 30 seconds. Why did he come in here and take a pair of tongs? I don't have a pair of tongs. I need a pair of tongs. They're my tongs. They're mine. I don't have my name on them either. But they're just really old. So I, um, I went and looked for him. I jumped, I finished, um, uh, plating and, um, getting out the bulk of the tickets and they like had maybe one or two dockets left. And I walked out and went on the rampage looking for my pair of tongs, eh? And I found them. You can believe I found them, right? I found them. It took me 20 minutes to walk over the whole hotel, but I found them. And he was, the, the guy was sitting up there doing paperwork with the tongs, just sitting on his apron, not even using them, just sitting there doing paperwork with my tongs. 
on his apron, just sitting in a chair. And I, I had it all rehearsed in my head. I'm one of those people that like rehearses dramatic scenes in their head before they go and do it. And like, it never happens that way. <laughs> you just, you, you think you're going to go up there all hellfire. It's only happened to me a couple of times where I've gone all hellfire and brimstone. And I thought, um, I'm going to give it to this guy. You know, he's got no right to come down and take my tongs. All right. But I went up there and I said, oh, sorry, chef. Uh, may I have my tongs back, please? You've just taken them. <laughs> all polite and nice. <laughs> it was, you know, despite all like the anger and angst and um, stuff, I'm actually a nice person. And I like to, that's what I think. I was brought up better and I was brought up with manners and being polite. So you should be polite. You know, it's no way. It's no way to be in life. I think, I, I don't know if I've told this story on here, but I'll, I'll tell it on here. Um, it really, it does really annoy me when people don't use their manners. Like I think pleases and thank yous go a long way in any industry and in any situation in life, you know, like you don't say, you know, you, you don't say, you should just say please because it's just a part of like your vocabulary. You shouldn't have to use please when you want something or, you know, if you're trying to suck up someone, excuse me, you should just say please because please is the word that people use when, they, um, uh, when they're trying to get something. I'm not trying to get something in like a, in... How do I say it without sounding like an idiot? Um, well, look, if you know what I'm saying, then you know what I'm saying. I'm not going to bang on for three minutes trying to explain pleases and thank yous. But this guy, I was wrapping up my section on a busy night and generally in kitchens, you've got one massive reel of glad wrap. You've maybe got two. If you've got money, you've got two or three. But if you're... You know, most places we got one and we share because that's how the world works. It's like at home, you all don't have one toilet paper roll each. <laughs> you just all go to the bathroom and use toilet paper. It's the same with a glad wrap. There's one glad wrap and we all use it, right? There's no great mystery here. So I was using it. It was my turn to use it because I got it first. And that's how it works too. If you've got it, then you're using it first. Right. And he comes up and he just grabs it. This guy. And I blew up at him, eh? I was like, what the what what are you doing? He said, I'm taking the glad wrap. I said, No, you're not. You can put it the F back here and you can wait until I'm finished. And he was like, Oh, someone's cranky. I was like, mate, I'm not cranky, you're just rude. You're just rude because you've come over here and not said please or even ask. You've just come and taken my glider up when I'm halfway through a job, you know? And he just kind of looked at me like I was the idiot. But I'm not. I've just got manners and you can wait until I'm done. And do you know what I did? Didn't give it to him. Gave it to someone else to use. Then he waited longer. Yeah. Now who's petty? Still me, but that's okay. I can live with that one. That's one um that's one I'm more than happy to go down with the ship with. Really irks me. Manners go a long way. You know, they go a long way. When you when you've worked with so many people with like language barriers and that have different languages, you start picking up um, little, little cues and little, um, little things that, that they pick up from you also. Like they, um, I work with this Brazilian guy, uh, great guy. And I thought he could understand me cause I've worked with a lot of people with like, um, kind of broken English and like my upbringing is like living with people with broken, broken English. And I thought he could understand me really well um, with the way I was explaining things. Like I like to be quite thorough when I'm explaining things. And he said to like the other Brazilian guy, he was like, 
Oh, oh, I don't understand Steph. He's he talked too fast. Yeah, I, I I don't understand what he's saying, right? And um, and I asked like the other presenter. I said, "Why? Well, like, okay, I'll, I'll slow it down." And he said, "Don't when you explain something, don't say it. Try not to make it relatable to something from your culture, because he doesn't understand." what a, a Kubra is <laughs> or like what a snake does or what spiders do, you know, like he doesn't understand Australian things because you got to remember he's not from Australia. <laughs> so if you, if you know, yeah, I would say, mate, you got to make it as long as a great Western highway. You've got no idea what I'm talking about. He, that could be really short for all he knows. Um, mate, it's got to be as small as the Pacific ocean. Yeah, they don't understand. They, and like a lot of people from other places don't understand sarcasm. I like to I like to do a lot of sarcasm. That's basically um, 90% of my uh, personality is sarcastic. So I like to be really, really sarcastic. I like to be sarcastic to the point where you don't understand it, where you just think, I don't understand, which is great. That's... Um, yeah, reactions are a big one for me. I love seeing people react to how simple that you, that, uh, they think you are, I guess. Anyway, it's funny. Um, but yeah, so I you pick up like verbal cues. And then I found that his English was getting better. This is after maybe a year of working together. Um, his English got better, but mine got worse. <laughs> I started speaking like, uh, like a little bit Portuguese, not like a lot, just like, you know, like I'd say, hola for like, hello, or I'd say, you know, como vosta, which is like, how are you? And, um, you know, ciao, you know, we'd say ciao to bye and stuff like that. And you'd end up saying that in like your daily life. So you'd like go, or you say, you're tudo bien, tudo bien, you know, which is like all good, um, which you say a lot in the kitchen, I guess you say all good heaps. And um, you find, I, I used to say that at home, you know, my wife would say, oh, yeah, you're good to do the washing or whatever. And I'd say, oh, total bien. And she'd be like, what are you saying? It's not even English. I said, you're right. It's not English. I don't know why I'm saying it. Who knows why, right? Uh, but it's because, you know, you work with these people for 50, 60 hours a week, you start to sound like them. And I found that I was... Yeah, like just talking in broken English. I would stop saying the words in between words. Like uh, I wouldn't say, I would just say the the key points of the words. Like you, meat, pan. <laughs> I wouldn't say, you just take the meat and then you place it in a hot pan. I would just point point things or I do sound effects. I think the sound effects comes from like, uh, having, having a child. I um, do sound effects all the time. It's like, Oh, just get the thing. The, you know, the, you know, if your hands in that, you can't see what I'm doing with my hands because it's a, it's an audio podcast, but what I'm doing is like, it looks like I'm making a salad when I make that noise and you mix it, you mix the salad. No, maybe not. Anyway. Um, that's when you that's when you know you've got a tight crew as well is that when you can when you can non-verbally communicate when you can say I need the thing I need the thing that goes in this and then the other guy clicks on and goes oh yeah I'll go grab it you know that's when you know you're you, you know you've got a good crew going on and you, you can all be on the same level you're like communication wise you're all on the same level that's what I had. I had this one apprentice um, who didn't know. He didn't know a lot, but I think, you know, it was his, um, he just really needed a job and this place gave him a job and then sent him out to Crown. And, you know, he worked there, I guess. Uh, uh, anyway, he, um, by the end of his uh, kind of career, well, his apprenticeship, I could just look at him and say, well, I need you know, we need, we need the, the thing, right? You know what I'm saying? And then he'd go and get it. 
and he would do the same for me. You know, he'd say, "Oh, chef or or staff, I need the, I need the thing to you know go with this." And I'm like, "Yeah, no worries, I got it sorted, no drama." You know, that's what happens when you're a tight crew. You just learn to kind of you can just see it on their face and what they're looking at and pointing at. You can see you know what they want, um, which is. Something that's not happening in my current workplace, but I'll get there. I'll get there. Hopefully, the dream is in all hospitality gigs is that you go there, you say very minimal words, and the kitchen just operates. It becomes autonomous. You know, that's the dream of every of every kitchen is that you don't have to speak to anybody. <laughs> well, that's my dream, that I don't actually have to communicate with anybody and then we all just like do our jobs and then go home and then we can talk about it after after service. I work with this one guy that always said, just chase beers. Go on, bang it out, chase beers later. You know, that's kind of the mentality you have in hospitality. It's like I said before, you know, like your rock stars on a, on a minimum wage rock stars on a minimum wage you know like you're you're living these party lifestyles these crazy lifestyle on um excuse me oh no way yeah excuse me um yeah that's that's basically the sum of like hospitality yeah i um i work with this one this one chef and I'll, I'm just going to go back and talk about, I'll tell you this funny story. Um, it's funny to people in hospitality. I don't know if it resonates the same as people out, but I'll tell it and I won't say any names or anything, but it's pretty funny. He, um, this guy, he, you know, demanded respect and he deserved every bit of respect he got, but he was like definitely the alpha in like our group of um, chefs, you know, cause he was like, he was the, um, the leader of our team and whatnot. And uh, we had this uh, kind of cook um, slash kitchen and uh, come through and, you know, he was a bit, uh, a bit like, I won't say weak minded, but he was a little bit submissive. And, you know, like I said before, chefs, we're sharks, you know, we're sharks and wolves. As soon as we see the blood, we start going, we start attacking, right? And um, <laughs> one day, you know, he gets him to do these bibs and bobs, you know, go and get me the thing, you know, go upstairs, tell him I need it, tell him that I sent you and that you've got specific instructions to go up and get it and then come straight back. You know, oh, yes, 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 chef. Uh, no worries, chef. And um, one day he's like, come here, kiss my kiss my hand. <laughs> and he holds his hand out like he's the, like he's the, um, like he's a king. <laughs> and we're all watching. We're all like, what's he doing? And he's like, come here, kiss my hand. Come on, kiss it. And the guy comes over and he gives it a little kiss. And he says, no, come back. Less, less moisture. <laughs> I, I, don't want, I don't want your wet lips on my hand. I just want dry lips. <laughs> and he kisses him. And... um. You know, it's it's just a running joke. We made fun of him or whatever for it, and um, but it was you know it was so funny, right? And then you know, it goes on for a little bit, and then the guy he has enough, and fair enough, you know, he says, "No, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it anymore." And you know, my mate's seen red because he sees like not being dominant anymore. That's how like chefs work. We start not being seen as the dominant person, then we start to get a bit funny. But, you know, he was cool. He was cool about it. He was like, oh, yeah, fair enough, you know, I'll stop or whatever. And um, then maybe I think it was around the time that um, this guy was leaving, the the guy who got his hand kissed, he was leaving. And um, he he says to the guy, he says, go to the toilet and warm my seat up for me. 
I'm not putting my butt on a cold toilet. Go and warm it up for me and then tell me when it's warm. (laughs) And it was the most demanding and dominating thing I've um, ever seen. But it was the funniest thing. It was so funny just to see the look on his face. And then he went and did it. That was like even funnier, you know, like it's funny. Uh, It's all a laugh. It's all a joke. It's all like, you know, they're great friends now. We're all friends and we're all, you know, happy with each other's lives and that kind of thing. You know, don't read too much into this. You know, it's not, it's nothing to read about. It's just something that happens and it's funny. That's all it is. And um, yeah, it was so funny. And, you know, as a joke, you know, we say to each other, it's like, you know, kiss my hand. (laughs) No moisture, just lips. (laughs) You know, it makes it funny. That's it. Yeah. You know, like when you tell someone a story like that, who's never worked with that person or that type of person, they don't really understand it. You know, it's a weird kind of like um, dominant thing. That's like, it's really old school to see. You know, these days, chefs are way more laid back. I mean, chefs are so laid back these days, they don't wear chef jackets. That irks me. I mean, I'll tell you what, Escoffier, Auguste Escoffier, he did not invent the chef and chef hierarchy for people to rock up with a black shirt and skinny jeans. He did not design kitchen hierarchy and transform French cooking into the next level so people could rock up with top knots and sleeve tattoos. Top knots and tattoos. That basically sums up this next generation of chefs. Top knots and tattoos. That's how I say it. Um, Hey, look, we all got tattoos, man. You know, all of mine you can easily cover. You know, and the people that have sleeves, you know, more power to you, eh? Like, I don't mind. I don't mind these days, but... It's like the perception of if you're a chef, you have to have, you know, like trendy, traditional, weird tattoos of like spoons and whisks. I'll tell you what, anyone that gets a whisk on their arm is not very creative. Oh, but I love cooking. Do you love cooking? Like of all the things involved in cooking, the whisk is your favorite utensil. Really? A balloon whisk is your favorite utensil to use out of everything that you could use in a kitchen, like a thermomix, you know, top of the line knives, you know, uh, carbon skillet pans, uh, combi ovens, you know, uh, circumvent ventilators. You choose a balloon whisk and a wooden spoon. Come on. Come on, mate. That's not a cool tattoo. That's not creative or inspiring. Do you know where I would get a balloon whisk tattoo? Nowhere is where. doesn't belong in your body. belongs in your hand, whisking eggs or cream or curd, you know? Anyway, top knots and tattoos. That's the next generation of chefs. Next generation of chefs making weird contemporary food it's not weird actually i'll take that back like the food that's coming out and the food that has been coming out for the last maybe eight years nine years has been like really good next level stuff you know it's it's the evolution of food you know like you can't you can't cook the same way escoffier did now and as be as successful as escoffier was for his time you know because that's food Food just evolves, food just elevates, food like food's on trend as well, like what people eat. Like I think everyone gets paid a decent amount that they can experience all origins of food. I don't think you're typeclassed to just eating um, meat and boiled cabbage anymore. You know, like I think that there's enough variety that you can go like, you know, buy all the ingredients to make a pad thai or buy all the ingredients to make a, you know, a Szechuan chili beef or whatever. You know, I think there's enough variety out there that, and you know, you just go to a Coles or Woolworths and you can, you can just, they've got menus there that you can basically just pick around and choose and 
cook whatever food you want, you know, traditional French or traditional Asian food, you know, like it's that's like the world we live in today. You know, it's a gone of the days where you can, um, you just, you know, because you're Irish, you eat coal cannon. You only eat coal cannon. There's, there's three things that you can eat as an Irishman. It's cottage pie, coal cannon. I don't know the other one. Sausages made from sheep. Sheep's balls. That's what it's made from. That. And, you know, like the, you know, just Irish people eat Langishears. <laughs> I think they're called. I don't know if I'm saying it right. Langishears, Langishears, like prawn looking things. Um, and haggis, you know, they don't do that anymore. They, you know, every country all over the world eats food from all over the world. That's why Australia is really good because all our food influence is influenced from other countries because of a lot of people that come to Australia. It's like we're this big refugee island where everybody comes and shares ideas. You know, it's great. I love it. You know, I'm, I'm inspired every day to um, do, you know, different food. I, I don't feel like I need to just cook classic French food all the time. I feel like I can cook any food. Any, any food, any of the time, really, which is great. Yeah, that's the, probably the, the best thing about hospitality these days is that, you know, there's just so much food to cook. You're not, you know, it's not about like three people. It's not about everybody nailing a creme brulee anymore, you know. It's about being able to nail all courses, which is great. It's great for if it's great for kids coming up, but they've got to do the hard work. That's the, the biggest thing. The, the biggest thing is getting the getting the kids to see that there is glory, but there's hard work to get there. I mean. There's no like lucky breaks in, there's lucky breaks in hospitality, but they're not as lucky as you think they are. Like a lucky break in hospitality is getting a raise of 0.5%, you know, like that's a, that's a lucky break. That's a good break, you know, getting a raise of a dollar an hour, you know, that's a lucky break, you know, getting to work overtime is a lucky break, getting to work a weekend and get penalty, penalty rates or double time on a public holiday. Like that's a lucky break in hospitality. You know, compared to like the lucky break in film is where Michael Bay comes to your town, likes what you do, and then you set up for a million dollar contract on, you know, a three movie deal. You know, that's a lucky break. The lucky breaks in hospitality are very, very minuscule, (laughs) you know. So I think, well, I don't think I know, you know, you want all the prestige and all the rewards and all the accolades, you got to be able to work for it. I mean, nobody gets something for nothing. You know, you've got to. If you want, if you want to be the level of, you know, Gordon Ramsay and get your three hats or Marco Pierre White or the Heston Blumenthal's or the, um, the Paul Bukos or the, the Peter Gilmore's, you know, you want to be like any of those guys, you got to put the work in and you got to work hard. That's a, that's the biggest lesson here is if you want to make it in hospitality, you got to be able to work hard and do everything that's demanded of you, you know, because that's the business. It's food service industry. We serve people food and that's our business. You know, there's a, yeah, that's just, that's what we do. And, you know, we make a, we make a good living or a decent living doing it. So, you know, my advice to any kid out there, that's listening to this. Well, one question why you're listening to this really, you know, this isn't really a place for too much hospitality stuff, but you got to put the work in a lot of guys, you're coming through and you're not putting the work in, put the work in and then you'll see the rewards. You'll see the benefits. You know, it's like, you're not going to see the benefits from an hour in the gym once a year. You'll see the benefits from an hour in the gym seven days a week. You know, you put the work in and then you've got the work to show for it. Yeah. I'm putting the work in here. 
right? I'm doing it. I'm working a full-time job and trying to be a, a wife and husband as well. A wife and a husband. I'm not a father and a husband. I'm being a wife and a husband. How about that? Does anyone else do that? Husband, wife, not a father, even though my son lives with me, but I'm not a father. I'm a husband and a wife. (laughs) No, but that's good. They're like the goals you have, you know, when you're younger, you obviously, you know, sky's the limit or whatever. You get a bit older, you start to realize that you can still do those things. You can still be all the things you wanted to be when you were a kid. And I got, well, still do. I don't, I didn't have, I still do have dreams of like being a great director or a great movie writer. Why not? I can still apply myself. It's not like I'm going to kill over tomorrow. If I am, I hope everybody says rest in power. You know, that'd be great. So, um, yeah, that's really my message, you know, work hard and you'll get everything that's coming to you. Well, don't work hard. And then maybe you get a lucky break, but life ain't about luck. I'm sure there's heaps of like shows that probably tell you that it's not about luck. It's about hard work. You know, that's good. So I'll probably wrap it up there. Um, as I've been saying the last couple of episodes, if you liked it, this is this is it. This is going to be the outro. I'm going to put some outro music in. So we've made it, guys. We've made it to the big one. We've got intro music and we've got outro music. And this is going to be the outro music. I actually don't know. I haven't picked it yet. But when by the time this comes out, there'll be some outro music at the end, which would be good. Um, Because then you can kind of seal the book on it. But look, if you like it, if you didn't like it, just go to go to mymindpodcast.gmail.com and just tell me. Just say, look, Stefan, this was not for me. And I'll go, thank you. Because I don't know what else you do with this. You know, basically, it's just me banging on for an hour every week. And if you like, listen to it. Thank you.